Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Tech Stuff. My name is Chris Paulette, and I'm an editor at HowStuffWorks.com. Sitting across from me, as usual, is senior writer Jonathan Strickland. No one would have believed in the last years of the 19th century that this world was being watched keenly and closely by intelligence greater than man's and yet as mortal as his own, that as men busied themselves about their various concerns, they were being scrutinized and studied, perhaps almost as narrowly as a man with a microscope might scrutinize the transient creatures that swarm and multiply in a drop of water. Burma. Why'd you say Burma? I panicked. All right. Uh, um, we just did a double quote. <laughs> um, I was going to, uh, I didn't, we were sort of going over what we were going to talk about. I'm going to throw Jonathan a very uh, non curvy curveball here. All right. Um, a, a while ago, yeah. about uh, maybe almost 20 years ago, is it mid 90s. Yeah. I uh, uh, listened to the founder of MindSpring Enterprises, which was uh, an internet service provider here in the United States. His name is Charles Brewer. And he was talking about uh, how in the future, um, and he wasn't talking distant future, you know, he was talking realistically in the next few years, he was saying in the mid 90s, uh, that you would have stuff in your house. It wouldn't just be you connecting to the internet to use email or the web. He said, in, in the next few years, your stuff is going to be connected to the internet and it's going to talk to one another. And, you know, he was talking about appliances and things. And I thought, well, that's kind of weird. I mean, how would you do that? Um, of course, at the time, we were still in a very dial-up world where you had to have a modem attached to your computer or built into your computer that dialed over the phone line and would, you know, connect to the internet and it was very slow and it was very spotty and you know it worked pretty well but i thought well that that would be kind of cool and it seemed uh you know of course it's not jet jetpacks and uh uh hoverboards but it was at the same time you know kind of far off in my head because i was thinking i don't you know i i guess people would adopt that i don't know it seems kind of cool to me well, as it turns out, we really have moved on to that kind of a model, although we're not quite 100% there yet. But um, this is what people call the Internet of Things. Yes. And the reason we're talking about this is that uh, I actually was contacted by a... Uh, a Alien local... intelligence? Yes, but that is not what I was going to mention. You know, now they have to visit me again, Chris. Thank you so much, because I had plans this weekend. Anyway, no, I was also <laughs> contacted by a uh, a tech conference to have a, a panel discussion about this very topic, the Internet of Things. And mm-hmm. I thought, well, heck, I'm, I'm already preparing for that. Why don't we make that a podcast as well? And here we are. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little bit about where we are right now. So um, we're still not at a point where everything is talking to everything else. And there are a few different reasons for that. I think one of the reasons is, uh, like uh, Chris was saying, you know, broadband rollout was probably a little more gradual than we had anticipated when the futurists were first starting to think about the, the possibilities of the Internet of Things. Uh, but that, that's less of a problem now for a good percentage of the population of the United States as well as for all, many other countries. Clearly, it's still a problem. 
Not mm-hmm. everyone has broadband internet access. Uh, now, in some cases, the information that these different products would be sending back and forth would be very small packets of data. So perhaps broadband uh, access isn't as important. I remember. Yeah. Back as this, this nostalgic cast. This is a slight. It's a slight tangent. I remember buying. Uh, you may remember this too. The the age of uh, when uh, there were publications like Yahoo Internet Life. Uh, mm-hmm. Back in the 90s when – and there were books too with internet sites on them. And you would go, OK, so I got this internet thing. What am I going to do with it? One of the things I've had in, in a book was this uh, drink machine that was hooked up to the internet. And you could – and this was all text. This is not you know pretty World Wide Web stuff. This was – you would ping the machine and it would tell you how many of each drink it had sold that day. And I was thinking – So you could figure out how many – people within the population of that region had diabetes. <laughs> well, it was a it was a college campus, no quick. <laughs> so all of them. So, yeah. So uh, we're 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 talking about uh uh you remember when we've talked about the early internet, the the places that were wired were basically uh government facilities and um educational institutions. Yeah. So yeah. yes, they the had broadband research facilities. Exactly. They had broadband. Uh, people in the, consu- the computer science department had wired their drink machine yeah. and you could ping it. And, you know, because why not? That's more or less the deal. And that was why it was interesting. Yeah. Because why not? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, and, and it can be useful looking at it today. You could have a vendor looking at it. Okay. Well, we don't need to restock this one today, yeah, we don't have to we're not going to send somebody out, out there. Yeah, you can but, you could uh, consolidate. You but can, back then it was just for fun. Right. Yeah. Today it makes a lot of sense. Like if you own a vending machine company and you stock those vending machines and you are able to look at a glance and see where you need to send a delivery person in order to restock those machines, then you may not need as many delivery people on your staff yeah. because you don't have to have someone go out and physically check each machine. And And if the machines can alert you if something's wrong – then you know to send someone out to repair it. Um, there are a lot of you know you don't have to wait for a, a call from a client or a happen or for your maintenance guy to happen upon it on a on a scheduled series of rounds. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, there are a lot of different reasons for it. And then we have the consumer side, like actual consumer products, not just you know commercial products. Uh, and the possibilities that that holds. And there are already products out on the market right now that have some form of network capability. Um, they don't tend to all work together necessarily. Like you might have a bunch of independent networks within your home network, right? Mm-hmm. So for example, uh, you could have a, uh, you could be purchasing your appliances from a single company and you get a washer and a dryer and they have this connectivity ability so that the washer and the dryer share information with each other. Yeah. So when you put a load of laundry in the washer and you set it to a particular kind of setting, like let's say it's permanent press, it sends that information to the dryer so that the dryer already has the proper settings ready to go when you transfer the wash from the washer to the dryer. So that way you don't have to reset the dryer settings. It's already taken care of. Uh, it might also even send you an alert somehow through uh, through the Internet so that you know when your loads of laundry are done. Mm-hmm. So you might get a ping on a smartphone or a tablet or your computer. Or 
if we're going to look into the future a little bit, uh, your television. Mm-hmm. Because you've got internet-connected televisions out there. Uh, it's only a matter of time before we get to a point where these internet-connected televisions have a uh, the ability to show alerts that are related to other appliances that are in your house. We're not quite there yet, but that's mainly because the approach most companies are taking is to create a proprietary communication protocol mm-hmm. for their products, right? So company A's products do not communicate with company B's products. So unless you're buying everything from the same company, then the the communication protocols aren't compatible and they don't understand each other. They can't communicate. You need a C-3PO right there in the middle because they ha- can speak over six million different languages, including evaporators. Uh, one of their first jobs was – anyway, um, the the point being that – You know, the odds of you finishing that quote are – Yeah. Uh, never tell me the odds. Many Bothans died to bring us this podcast. So the uh, – the but the different the different networks can't really communicate with one another. So that's right. kind of where we are right now. But we do have lots of products out there, including ones like refrigerators that can talk to stoves and ovens. Mm-hmm. So you've got, again, from the same company – so you might have a refrigerator that's internet connected and you think, well, why would I want that? Well, if you have an, a fridge that connects to the internet and it actually is able to keep an inventory of the stuff that you put within that fridge, you know, there, right. if there's some method, uh, whether, you know, you'd want it to be as seamless as possible. Ideally, you would have a method in there where when you put something in the fridge, it automatically detected its presence, knew what it was and logged it. Mm-hmm. So it would, it would know when you put it in there, uh, and it would know what it was, and, and even in a real ideal situation, it would know when that product expires. Mm-hmm. So it could tell you, like, hey, you got some milk in the fridge that's about to go bad because it's muscling up to the potato salad. So you want to make sure you're gonna go ahead and drink that. Um, so just don't walk in on the mayonnaise; it's dressing. That's right. Boy, we, we're definitely punchy. We recorded an episode that had more bloopers in it than. The previous, ever had. <laughs> the previous three years of recording <laughs> combined. So we're all punchy now. But anyway, yeah, uh, the fridge would be able to keep you alert on what you have in your fridge. It could even uh, pr- give you recipes for stuff that you could make based upon what is in the refrigerator right now. So, for example, you might think, well, what am I going to have for dinner tonight? And you could ask, you could ask your refrigerator. And they could say, well, based upon what you've got in the fridge, this is the kind of stuff you can make. Or it may say, you could have this meal. You just need to go out and buy this, this, and this so the ingredients are complete. And and with um, the possibility of purchasing stuff online, you could even get to a point where you 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 authorize through your fridge purchases. Well, and, and that's the, the – uh, well, there are two sort of things that are, that are occurring to me, two sort of funny things. Um, one of which is there's no reason we can't do this right now or, or really a couple of years ago. It's just we haven't. Um, so it's not, it's not a, a technology that we're waiting for it to develop. Um, this is all pretty simple stuff, really, when you right, get right down to it. Um, the other, the other promise, I mean, this really could be a very, uh, convenient thing if they go forward with it because it's the kind of thing that you're, you're talking about that would make life really easy if you have the money to buy this kind of stuff yeah. and the services available to you. So let's say you have um, your internet-connected fridge and the services necessary to complete this conversation. So you got stuff in the fridge and some of it's starting to expire and you've used some of it. So 
uh, there are RFID tags, radio frequency identification tags on your things. So you have um, milk and uh, you have cheese and things like that. And as you use it up, it, the fridge realizes, hey, it's no longer in the fridge. Um, so I'm going to uh, – Jonathan has already said that he wants more milk as soon as he runs out of milk. So I'm going to place an order with the local uh, shopping delivery company, and they're just going to bring Jonathan more milk. Yeah. And they're going to bill it to his card. So he gets a regular delivery of milk because he's out. And uh, the fridge has automatically told his local uh, delivery company, hey – uh, he needs milk and celery and other stuff, you know, that he's run out of, yep. or he wants to make this this meal. Um, so really, this could be ultra convenient because you could just have stuff show up, go ahead and put it in the fridge, and it just runs on a normal cycle like that. So you don't have to make shopping trips, and uh, you don't have to look through the fridge to identify what you're going to eat. But that's all sort of a well, what if? Because in the uh, in the '90s when um, these types of delivery services uh, were starting to take off. It was kind of early for them to do so. Yeah. And I think it scared a lot of people, which is why you don't they're, – they're sort of hit or miss. They're in some places and not in others. They're in a neighborhood down the street, but they won't deliver to your house. Yeah, a lot, of, a lot of these services uh, back in the day, they expanded too quickly. They, yeah. they, got, they got so large that they weren't able to, uh, to handle their own – the, they weren't able to administrate the size of the company. And so yeah. as a result, they eventually collapsed in on themselves because it's not a cheap business to be in. No. You know, it's a lot of warehouse management, a lot of deliveries. Uh, it's, it's a tricky business. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also I was going to mention that the other possibilities. So we, we were talking mainly about just the fridge interacting with the internet, mm-hmm. but it could also interact with the other uh, appliances in your home. For example, your stove. Mm-hmm. So let's say that you have determined that, you know, the fridge has suggested, hey, you've got the right ingredients here for a pot roast. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, heck, you could even have a crock pot that has Ooh. internet connectivity. And so it starts the, uh, it starts the crock pot heating up at the right time so that you just, all you do is dump the, the ingredients into it and you, and you walk away. Mm-hmm. Um, or you uh, have uh, you want to you want to end up uh, uh, like baking something, and so it ends up sending that information to the oven when you're prepared. So that way, the oven starts to preheat while you're actually getting your ingredients together. You never had to go and turn anything on yourself. It's all controlled because the devices themselves are aware of what it is you're trying to do. Mm-hmm. So this is sort of the promise of the Internet of Things in general, but. You know, while we're talking about appliances, that the reason why we're talking about that is because those are things that exist on the market right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, the same sort of thing is true for experiences if you have, say, a smartphone, a tablet, and maybe even a video game console or set-top box. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can have these sort of experiences right now within a separate kind of network. So let's use Netflix as an example. Okay. All right, so let's say I have a Netflix account and I have accessed a Netflix film or television show on my smartphone mm-hmm. and I'm watching it and then I stop, you know, I pause in the middle and then I, uh, a little bit later I pick up my tablet and I watch a little bit more of it and it picks up right where it left off and then I pause. And then when I get home, I turn on my TV and my set top box that happens to have Netflix capability in it and I start and it picks up again right where I left off. Mm-hmm. And so this is an experience that continues 
and it doesn't matter what the context is. It follows me. It's context independent. Mm-hmm. So I don't have to worry about fast forwarding to get to the right section so I can pick up where I left off. It's going to just do that automatically. Mm-hmm. This is a really valuable experience to consumers. And it's the sort of thing that the Internet of Things really promises is this idea of a seamless experience where you go from environment to environment and the environment adjusts to you and gives you the experience you want um, based upon whatever your preferences are. And it may be that you have to express those preferences in a very um, ordered way. It may, mm-hmm. In fact, I, I would guess that the early, early versions of this technology are going to require a lot of input on our part to be to work correctly. Mm-hmm. But future systems will have a lot of learning behaviors built into them so that based upon your behaviors in the past and the things that you've already done, they can anticipate what you want in the future and start to set things up so that they will be ideal for you before you even are necessarily conscious of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, and we're seeing some of that too, like the Nest thermostat is a yeah. good example. So Nest thermostat is a programmable thermostat that has some learning uh, algorithms in it that can, based upon the way you adjust the thermostat throughout the day, can start to automatically make those adjustments for you. And you can also at any time go in and manually change it either in the house or building yourself, or you can even access it over the Internet. Mm -hmm. So there are opportunities there for other appliances that do similar things to to do that. And then we've got uh, other... Uh, possibilities as well. For example, that you, you're watching TV and you see a product on television and you, you know, you are the ultimate impulse buyer and you think, I want that. Well, with the Internet of Things, you can get to a point where, and a lot of companies have been trying to do this, figure out a way where you can, if you see something on the screen that you want, you can indicate, I want that and then go and purchase it, uh, in a very easy, seamless way so that you don't have to open up a tablet or or a smartphone application or pop open a computer in order to say this thing i saw on tv i want that yeah make that mine um yeah my tv provider already does that to some extent yeah yeah there's there's some of that built in it's it's still not widespread and it's still not truly seamless but it's getting better and that's another thing we we expect to see but when we talk about the Internet of Things, you have to think bigger than that. Mm-hmm. Like we're still talking appliances and and you know entertainment centers and stuff. Mm-hmm. So radios, TVs, and computers and all that. But it, but this is really about putting computers and sensors and actuators in lots of things. Yeah. Well, one of the um, I would say one of the most mature Internet of Things environments is the smart home. Yeah. Where you've got uh, you know your lights, your climate control. Uh, your garage door, um, your the locks on your front door. Ah, uh, yes, the uh, Schlage Link system that you uh, you wrote on that for the uh, for the website. Yeah, if, if I'm you, not mistaken. Yeah, there's a yeah there's a a Schlage, uh, lock uh, article I wrote, and it was a few years ago. Yeah, mm-hmm. about a system because it was something I saw at CES where you could uh, access the lock on your front door from the internet and uh, from a smartphone. You could unlock your door. So mm-hmm. let's say that 
you have a repairman showing up at a certain time, uh, you could um, you can unlock the door for that person. You could also do things like set up passcodes, uh, temporary passcodes that mm-hmm. would only work within a certain block of time, and outside of that, they would no longer work. So that way, you could give a passcode to someone so that they could you know maybe walk your dogs or water mm-hmm. your plants or whatever it is. Yeah. And then as soon as uh, as soon as that time expand uh, is over, it'll just automatically lock again. Yeah. So yeah, I mean that's that's the sort of stuff. Yeah. That you could see in a smart home. That and uh, alarm systems, things like that. You yep. can you can watch. Um, uh, it's easy to if you have the cameras set up, you can see what's going on at your home. Yep. Um, if if you're like me and you go, oh, did I turn on the alarm? Did I lock the door? You can do. You can take care of it. You you know, if you get down the road, you could pull over and and get on your smartphone and make sure that you locked your door and make sure that you turn the alarm on. Um, and maybe the stove off. Yeah. Um, you know, th- those kinds of things. And that's something that, that is already pretty well established in the market. Also, um, the smart meters that they've been putting in in a lot of cities where, um, they don't have to send out a meter reader to your, to check your electricity. They can check that from afar. And what, what's funny to me is that it didn't move quickly enough for Google and Microsoft who have now shut down their services. Well, I think that was mostly because the, uh, the companies that installed the smart meters were not willing to share with Google and Microsoft. Um, and the two companies were just saying, you know what? If you guys aren't going to help us out, we're going to shut out. these down yeah. and we're not going to mess with it anymore. But I think that will eventually come back. Uh, but cars, too, yeah. are are online in ways that they hadn't been before. Well, and, and again, if we're talking about the future, you can imagine a system, a system where cars all have technology – uh, installed, whether it's retrofitted or just off the assembly line, mm-hmm. where, uh, there are, there can be sensors like collision detection sensors and alarm systems. There can even be override systems where, uh, the, you know, we, we've seen this with like Google's self-driving cars. You can, mm-hmm. see, you could imagine that being incorporated into vehicles off the line where, um, if you wanted to, you could engage it so that the car drives itself. And because it has these other, uh, uh sensors, it can navigate through traffic without there being a danger of a collision, especially if all the other cars are also on the same system. Mm-hmm. Then you've got a computer that can manage everything so that uh, you get to where you're going in the most efficient manner possible, mm-hmm. which uh, would be a, a, a huge relief. You know, Theoretically, you could avoid traffic jams uh, because a lot of traffic jams depend upon human behavior and not necessarily something – uh, that's actually actively blocking the street. Mm-hmm. Although that could happen too. If there were, if there were an incident where something was blocking the street, uh, then obviously that would still be a problem. Although uh, a really robust system could potentially navigate around that so that the, uh, the, the impact would be minimal on traffic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you could also see sensors being built into the infrastructure itself. So not just the cars, but in streets, uh, and then, uh, the, you know, signs, things like that, so mm-hmm. that it could, uh, there, the system itself could maintain, uh, how much traffic is going across it on a given day, help, uh, uh change things like traffic light patterns. Yeah. Um, so you're talking about a, a system that's much more flexible and can change on the fly, uh, and possibly, help me. Yeah. Possibly help cities like Atlanta mm-hmm. with their horrible, Horrible traffic problems. <laughs> Atlanta's way up there, guys. Yeah. Los Angeles, Atlanta. I mean, we're we're hurting. Yeah, and we we could we could use the help. So so I had some statistics. Let me read you them. All right. Um, 
I actually was, uh, if you, if you're interested in reading more about the Internet of Things, I, I would also recommend, um, read RightWeb, which is one of my favorite tech sites anyway, but they have a whole section on, uh, Internet of Things articles. Um, and, uh, they, they had one where, uh, they quoted statistics from the GSMA. Of all people, um, this is an organization, uh, you might know from our other podcast about cell phones. Um, but they're studying, uh, how well connected things are because, well, an internet of things would be beneficial for them because they are the kinds of things that you would manage through a smartphone. So, uh, it's, it's definitely something that they're interested in. Um, they said that, uh, in 2011, there were about 9 billion devices connected to the internet around the world. About 6 billion of them are, are, something that you can carry with you. But by 2020, they expected uh, 24 billion connected devices, and about half of those would be mobile. Um, so it's definitely something that is that is growing uh, exponentially. Um, but it's at, at the same time, it's it's one of those things that they're they're, you know, as long as everything is working the way it's supposed to and people are behaving themselves, it's great. Yeah. Uh, because it, it can be real time saving. Um, it can give you opportunities to, to do other things with your time and with your money and, and, uh, really improve efficiency and, and turn things off that don't need to be powered on, saving right. electricity. It um, could improve your quality of life too. Absolutely. For, for all kinds of, of people. Yeah. And, uh, so yeah, there are a lot of potential benefits. I mean, and we're still not even finished with all the possibilities. I mean, there could be sensors built into clothing. Sure. To tell the clothing when it's dirty <laughs> and when it needs to be washed, and it could, you know, which would of, work great until you wash it, and then it, uh, you know, short circuits. Well, everything. you know, you got you have to build in the right kind of fabric so that you can wash it. But we could get to a point where sensors are built into clothing so that when you put them in the washer, the washer detects from the sensors what kind of clothing they are and what kind of cycle it needs to go through. So then you get to a point where you know. You just need a robot to disrobe you and put it into the washer, and other, and then you don't have to do anything else. Uh, Thanks, Rosie. Yeah, oh, she needs a bonus. So the, um, uh, yeah, there's there are a lot of different things that could happen, and and uh, you know we're talking about a point where these sensors and these computer systems are pervasive. Mm-hmm. They need to be both pervasive and transparent, and by that I mean. For this system to be something that works seamlessly, you don't want to you don't want to see all the wires. Right, is what I'm getting at. So, uh, and and there are a lot of companies working to kind of tackle that problem. Now, there is a, another major concern that arises out of this world of the future. Well, um, one of the concerns I was thinking of, and I, I think it's not the one that you're about to say. Sure. Um, because I think the other one that you're about to say is bigger. Yeah. But I mean, it's a um. Taking down the internet at that point becomes a much bigger deal, because I mean, we see that all the time in in, uh, in corporate America. You know, everybody has a computer on their desk now. Yep. And then when something happens at the network, nobody gets anything done, and that's going to happen when everybody gets used to the Internet of Things, and suddenly there's a network outage or yeah. a power outage. I can't cook. That's... My fridge won't tell me what to make. Exactly. And and uh, yes, it's a joke, but. People are, once you get reliant on that technology, when there is a glitch or a network problem or something like that, it, it throws us off. Yep. Um, and it could, you know, we've got all our traffic lights and everything, all our traffic systems online and, oh, 
the power grid is overwhelmed and it shut down. Yeah, now the internet's that, out. That's why you have to have the smart grid. Yeah. See, when you have the well, smart grid, then the power grid's fine. No, no, no. You're you're totally right. And, and and of course, a lot of these systems, especially the ones that are related to infrastructure, would by necessity require redundant systems that are even if they are the old pre-connected systems, they would be necessary. So, for example, your smart grid. Uh, a traffic light system may revert back to a pre-smart grid version, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so that it's still working. You yeah. know, it's still working. It's just not, it's just not flexible like it used to be. Yeah. Um, or at least you get maybe the flashing red lights, and hopefully people treat it like a four-way stop. Yeah. I, in Atlanta, that's a that's a hope that you make in vain. I uh, I'm to the point now where I'm not flexible like I used to be either. No, I. I can't even put on my own shoes anymore. Um, it also would be a tantalizing target for a terrorist. And yes. I'm not just saying that because it's alliterative, but it's the kind of thing that, that you know, if you're looking for a way to disrupt people's lives and, and cause panic, that could do it. Yeah. If you're, yeah. No, so now part of the, part of the defense of that is that the internet is pretty darn robust. Yes, and, it, it is. and there are a lot of different ways of working around problems. But if you were able to find a way to, I don't know, inflict a, a widespread virus that could uh, could gum up the works, then that could be enough to really make an impact. Mm-hmm. But you know, trying to actually take down the internet in the sense of I want to target the the internet because everyone's connected to it, and if I if I shut it down, then it's going to cause chaos. That's a huge endeavor. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's not something that's easily done. Uh, but yeah, the other big concern, the major one that I think a lot of consumers should keep in mind is privacy issues. Yes. So if you've got an Internet of Things, you've got all these sensors around you, mm-hmm. and you've and on you potentially, in uh, the various things that you're carrying or possibly even wearing, well, then you could be, you know, worried about your privacy because because these same systems that can make the environment so pleasant for us and to customize our experience in such a way that we have the best sort of. Uh, experience possible. I mean, imagine walking through a building that automatically uh, is adjusting to your preferences so that the lighting is just the way you would like it and the the, the ambient noise is just what you would want. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a neat vision of the future. Yeah. But it also means that there's a system that knows that you are there. Exactly. They know when you're there. They know how long you're there. They know when you arrived. They know where you came from. They know where you went to because it's a, if it's a big system that's keeping track of all of this, then it's keeping track of you. Yes. And as you move around and interact with the various environments around you, there is a record there. You are leaving a digital footprint everywhere mm-hmm. you go. And by necessity, that footprint has to be identified with you on some level. It might be a superficial level, but it has to be identified with you because otherwise your experience isn't customized. That's the point of doing it. Yeah, the whole point of doing it is so that I, Jonathan Strickland, as I walk around in my life, experience the best sort of outcomes possible considering my preferences. Mm-hmm. Well, if they, you know, if, if nothing is connected to me, then there's no, that all it's doing is just tracking that there, that, that someone is moving around. Yeah. But it doesn't know how to adjust, you know, the settings for anything to make it ideal for me. So that's the trade off is do we go with this world where we have this custom experience to life, this, this sort of idea where we have truly manipulated our environment to the fullest extent possible so that every person is getting as ideal an experience as we can hope to achieve. Mm-hmm. But on the flip side, 
every single movement you make is essentially – and every single thing you do is essentially tracked. Mm-hmm. Now, there are a lot of different ways to approach this where you build in security systems so that everything's encrypted, so that, yes, everything is tracked, but it's not easy for anyone outside to see what you did when. But there are big concerns. I mean, what if you happen to be in an area where a crime is committed? And you don't even witness it. You're yeah. not, you're not a witness to this crime. You were unaware that the crime had happened and the crime could be anything. Let's say it's robbery. Mm-hmm. So you happen to be in the same place at the same time as a robbery, but you're not in the exact same area. Right. But, but it's tracked you there. And then you happen to be late to something. So you make a, a faster than normal egress from the area in order to make your next appointment. And, uh, it could very well be that law enforcement, when looking and reviewing records, if you're leaving a digital footprint that can be traced back to you, could say, hey, this is a person of interest because, look, they were there at this particular time and then they left at, in a real hurry at, at the, you know, shortly after the robbery took place. Mm-hmm. And then next thing you know, you're being hassled about something that you had no knowledge of. Or let's say that you are doing something naughty. Mm-hmm. Something that is frowned upon, whether it's illegal or unethical or whatever. Well, now you've got a record of it everywhere. Yeah. So, uh, some of us who, uh, consider ourselves to be fairly ethical people might say, you know, I understand, but I don't really do anything terrible. So it, I don't see why that's a concern. Some people who are truly ethical people will be saying, this is an awful idea. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, it, it, whether I do anything wrong is immaterial. I don't want there to be a system that tracks everything I do all the time. I want, I want privacy in my life. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so that, that is a huge hurdle. I mean, do we, do we adopt this world of the future where we can have this kind of experience or do we shy away from it because we don't want to have a, a living record of everything we do every day until we're, you know, part of the environment as opposed to experiencing it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and and that's um you know, that's one of those conflicts that's difficult because the the um the benefits of some of this technology are pretty obvious. Yeah. And you say, "Well, I, you know, I really like this stuff. I wish I could do that, but I'm just not comfortable with giving up my privacy." Um I'm one of those people. Um so yeah, I mean, I I could I could tell you from personal experience that it's not it's not a, a simple uh, question to answer. Yeah. Um, a lot of these technologies are, are things that we can implement without having to give up too much of your privacy. Um, and then others, you know, uh, you have to go, well, I'm going to have to make a decision here one way or the other. Yes. Yeah, it's um, uh, it's it's definitely an exciting time mm-hmm. to see these developments take place. And uh, I think, you know, we're, we are looking at possibilities, but we also have to remember that uh, – this is not going to be a super fast uh, transition. And some stuff probably just won't work mm-hmm. because you can build the best system in the world. But if people don't use it the way you thought they were going to use it, then it becomes a problem. Yeah. And and that's one of the things is that it's hard to predict user behavior uh, when you're first designing a system. I, I think a lot of people were very skeptical of smartphone apps mm-hmm. when smartphone because a lot of the smartphone apps that first came out were very much curiosities. Yeah, they weren't necessarily that useful. But now mobile apps that is that is the thing. I mean that's the huge craze in tech. Yeah, right. I mean 
We're seeing big companies scoop up small mobile app companies for billions of dollars because it's a big deal. So if the Internet of Things takes a route similar to the way smartphones and mobile technology and apps have, then it's definitely going to become something pervasive and hopefully more useful than problematic. Uh, but it's also possible that the first few implementations of this kind of technology could fall flat, that they just don't work the way they were anticipated to. And if it's if it's a big enough failure, it may mean that we don't see this Internet of Things truly emerge because companies may shy away from it. Yeah, I, well, I mean, like, like I was uh, saying earlier, I mean, there are some things that are already there. We're yeah. already in the world. The thing is, there's... I think it's going to end up being a, a situation where consumer demand drives a lot of things, like uh, the washer and dryer that uh, situation where you know the washer would communicate to the dryer, "Hey, expect a load of permanent press; it's coming." Yeah. Um, you know that may not necessarily take off. You know, if it's a five hundred dollar option and people go, "I don't, I'm not going to spend it on that." Now, having an email sent to you to tell you, "Hey, it's time to change the clothes over; stick them in the in the dryer." Um, now that would be useful. Well, so I think it's people are going to say, well, I want that, but I don't, I mean, why would I want this? It may also be one of those things where a lot of these features end up getting built into all models eventually. Sure. Like it filters down. So it no longer becomes like a premium model of a particular appliance. It just becomes a standard feature that you find across all models of that appliance. Yeah. And, uh, and in that case, um, you might end up slowly adopting it, but, uh, uh, there are other times where you might see companies just abandon it. Another good example of this is like 3D television. Yeah. You know, there's there are a lot of television sets out there that have 3D built into them, but they're not necessarily um, marketed as 3D TVs. Mm-hmm. Well, that, that might be what we see in the future with these Internet-connected appliances, that it's just one of the features of the appliance and it's not the selling feature. Yeah. And that it's not necessarily priced higher because of it. Uh, it's just one of the many things that comes with that particular appliance. Oh, and yeah. the other thing that we'll have to have is some sort of universal standard of communication for this to truly oh, work. Absolutely. Or you're going to see third-party companies pop up, and their specialty is creating some sort of communication hub where different protocols can actually work together with one another, yeah. at least on a superficial level. Uh, and so uh, my point there is that if manufacturers don't start looking into ways where their technologies can talk to other companies' technologies, a third party is going to find a way to make it happen, and mm-hmm. then they're going to just explode. Yeah, you know, I agree. Uh, assuming that consumers care about it at all anyway. Right. All right. Well, that wraps up our discussion about the Internet of Things and the possibilities that lie therein. Uh, it'll be interesting to see this develop over time. I mean, you know, it's it, we're, we're in the early stages already. And uh, whether we progress much further really depends upon ingenuity and user behavior. So behave yourselves, users. And uh, if you have any topics you would like us to talk about in future episodes of Tech Stuff, you can email us at techstuff at discovery.com or send us a message on Twitter or Facebook. Our handle at both of those is techstuffhsw. And Chris and I will talk to you again really soon. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?